know I said a couple of Wednesdays ago that we'll have it up one Sunday. Uh, we won't have it up one Sunday. And we'll hand out, Pastor Mike, you need to listen to this. We'll hand, we'll hand out cards for people who could say it without looking up on the screen. If you all approve, we could do that next Sunday. But for this week, let's have it up. And you all try and memorize it as fast as you can. Isaiah 50 verse 4, let's start. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear. The Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. Amen. You may be seated. And while you're sitting down, tell someone by your side, welcome to church. Uh, since COVID hit, we haven't moved around, you know, the when pastors say right after, I think, offering, go around and greet people. And then you have to walk all the way from this city, all the way to the other country, this way or that way to say hello. We haven't said hello since COVID. So um, you could wave to people sitting far away from you and say, it's good to see you today. <laughs> okay, today I'm going to be speaking on something I have titled, Your Book is Not Finished. Your Book is Not Finished. And I pray the Holy Spirit gives us insight and revelation as we dive into his word this morning. And I pray that we all get something out of this. Amen? So there are a few things in life that can never be changed. Dr. Miles Monroe, he's someone I love to listen to. He calls them the mysteries of life. There are a couple of things that can never, ever be changed. No matter how we pray them away or we wish them away, they are just part of life. One of such things is seed time and harvest time. The Bible says it will never cease. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest time will never end. And I know the world says what goes around will come around. The Bible actually puts it better. What a man sows, he will That will never go away, no matter what happens. That's something we cannot change. However, there are so many things we can change. The things that can be changed are a lot more than the things that cannot be changed. Amen? Unfortunately, many of us, myself included, we get a little confused when it comes to the things that can be changed and the things that cannot be changed. So we look at situations... And you feel, ah, I don't think this can be changed. When actually, it can be changed. We easily confuse, because of our past experiences, things we've seen, things we've heard, things we've felt. It just looks like this is the end of this story. And I use this analogy of a book because my daughter is... I wanted to say considers herself a writer, so I'll just say she's a writer and uh, a drawer, as she likes to call herself. She likes to draw and write, and um, she writes stories upon stories. I mean, I think Daniel and I should invest in, like, some A4 company or something because she's always using our printing paper to, like, write and draw and stuff like that. As a matter of fact, yesterday she walked up to Daniel and says, Daddy! I want to have my own website. And y'all listen to the name of the website. It's www.zianabooksprinting.lol! 
I don't know how Danielle's going to help her create that one. But she wants to put all her books in there. So every other time she gets a new book she has written, and she's reading it to her brothers, and it gets to a particular part, maybe it started once upon a time, and then, just like real life, in the middle of the story, it feels like the bad guy's winning. And my son to another patient who go, why did you write it that way? Why is the bad guy winning? And she always says, but the book isn't over yet. The book isn't done yet. And once in a while, I'd have to hold one of my more enthusiastic sons and let her finish. Listen. And that's what God is telling us this morning. He isn't done writing yet. The book is not finished yet. And our lives are like a book. So we start out as children once upon a time. We start out life very optimistic, you know. It's all happy thoughts. And I don't think children have the ability to think of evil just because they haven't experienced it as much as we have. It's, they, they look forward to like joyful stuff. And then life happens. For some people, life happens early. For some people, it happens later. Life happens. You lose your job. You get your first heartbreak. Your husband runs away with a neighbor lady. Your child decides to go on the streets, do drugs. Life just happens. And then when you are faced with some of these situations, it's easy to think, this is how it's going to be. We just want to fold up, close the book, and say, the end, I'm done. This is just, there's nothing going to happen. This is, there's nothing going to change. And you know, David actually started out that way. David is one of my favorite people in the Bible. He started out with a great, once upon a time, Samuel went and anointed him as a child and told him, you will be king. I can't even imagine the joy, the, oh my God, I'm going to be king. I imagine him singing, oh, I just can't wait to be king. Very excited. If you all haven't watched Lion King, you should. Dancing and just rejoicing that he was going to be king someday. And then boom, life happened. Saul was after his head. Actually, Saul happened. And Saul says, oh, you're never going to be king. Not if I'm here, I'm going to kill you. And all of a sudden, page after page of David's book became from an interesting uh, novel. It became a horror story. Flip over to the next page, David is running. The next page, he's hiding. The next page, I mean, it was bad, bad, bad. It was getting badder and badder and badder. And it looked like, you know, when is this, is this how it's going to be? Will the story end this way? But you know something interesting? No matter how far David ran, he could not outrun the anointing on him. He had been commissioned king. So listen to this. In First Samuel 22, verse 2, he was on the run. He was in the desert, in the wilderness, running for his life. But look what happened. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. This wasn't king in the palace. This was king in the desert land. 
he became captain in the wilderness. I love how even though he was in that moment where he, could, he didn't even have a home, the kingship anointing was still following him. Amen? And I guess at some point, if I were David, I'd have thought, well, this is where the story ends. I become king of how many? 400 men and their wives and their children. I mean, it's better than nothing. I could still be king over sheep. So this is, you know, slightly better. But then let's turn to 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 to 20. And this is, the, the, this is where I'm going to be taking a lot of today's um, sermon from. And we're going to study verse by verse. So all of these people, they had gathered together. They made their own little city. They had their children, their wives, and David was their leader. And they went out and came back to Ziklag. Let's read it. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and they burned it with fire. So they went out and they got back home and the entire city was burnt down. Let's go on to verse 2. And had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. And that's just how the devil has come to take away your peace. That's how he has come to steal your joy. That's how he has come to steal your children. That's how he has come to steal your spouse. It's the same thing he does every single time. Let's read on. So So David and his men came to the city, and there it was. It was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. That's false. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. I can't imagine the trauma of coming home and you're expecting, Daddy, Daddy, and all you see is a burnt-up city. I can't imagine, but I'll give you an example of something similar. That Well, not, not near this. But once upon a time, while we were a lot younger, my parents had gone out, and my brother and I were in charge of the house. I think we were probably maybe 13, 12, I don't know. Anyways, and we had to look after OG. And I don't know what happened. Probably we didn't pray enough that day. But my parents came back, and OG was gone. And nobody could find OG. No, where is OG? I'm like, I don't know. Imagine the panic. We were, oh my God, I, had, I was crying. Oh, Jesus, God. We walked around the streets with my mom. Everybody, where is OG? We were searching. I mean, we probably searched for 30, 45 minutes. Where is OG? Who do we call the police? We had no idea where she had gone. And after searching and searching, I don't know whatever happened. Someone, I think it was my dad, went behind. We had a door, an angle door. And right then, this little teeny bitty corner, OG was slipping. Typical OG, she had gone there to hide, and then she fell asleep. <laughs> and the fear that day was so, t- I was so afraid. Now, I can't imagine that multiplied by a thousand times. Imagine coming home 
and there's no home. And your children, your, everybody's gone. And these were mighty men. The Bible refers to them as mighty men. So I asked myself, why were they weeping? They were weeping because they thought the story was over. They thought, this is how it ends. We lose our family, we lose our wife, it just ends this way. They thought the story had come to an end, but let's keep reading. Verse 5. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Camelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people who spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son and his daughters. Now, as if things could not get worse, the people were like, we need to kill this guy. He's a horrible leader. Let's stone David, stone David, stone David. And David must have felt everything is working against me. How many of us have felt that way? Where it just, it just seems like everything. You turn this way bad. You turn that everything is going wrong. But look what David did. Now for situations that appear they cannot be changed. For situations to transform from things that cannot be changed into things that can actually be changed. For the period to be changed into a coma. For the chapter... To turn over to the next page, there's something you must do. It's there. David strengthened himself in the Lord. You must put on your strength. We will never, ever win any battle from a position of defeat, ever. You must put on your strength. And the book of Isaiah 52, it tells us that very, very clearly. It says, Isaiah 52, verse 1, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Who is Zion? You are Zion. Put on your strength. You cannot afford to be without your strength. Just the way you put on your jacket, the way you put on your dress, put on your strength. And that was the first thing David did in that situation that looked so hopeless. He went on and he put on his strength. Let's go back to... Um, 1 Samuel 30, and let's keep reading. I think we're in verse 7 now. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, and I'm going to stop here. Isn't it interesting that even on the run for his life, David ran with his priest? Have you ever thought about that? How did he have his pastor with him in the wilderness? It is interesting to know that almost through David's journey, he always had a prophet, a priest. He always had someone speaking the right things to him. Who is speaking into your situation? Who's speaking over your life? What are the words being spoken? Someone told me they wanted to start a business and someone told them, Your dad changed jobs every two weeks, and he started new businesses every month, and he amounted to nothing. I mean, just saying. And the person came away so discouraged. I don't don't know if I can. 
What are the words being spoken into that situation? Who is doing the speaking in your life? And even if you have no one, here's an interesting promise from the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14. Scroll there, flip there, or look up the screen. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. You have your priest with you. It doesn't matter if people around you are saying rubbish. You have a great high priest. Can we all say, I have a great high priest? He's with you through every chapter of your story. So you don't have to come from a happy home. You know how we say, well, I never had a dad who... Who, who supported me. My mom was always mean to me. I, I, everyone around me has always said I would be nobody. You don't have to be nobody. You have a high priest. And his book is filled with just the words you need. Every day, your high priest in the Bible, he's already spoken over you. All you need to do is go to the Bible and search out what he has spoken. Use it to counter what the world is saying. Amen? We'll keep reading. Back to First Samuel. I think we're in verse 7 now, 37. And when you go home, can we go back to verse 7, please? I want you to study this and just look through again and just see how God worked with David. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. What is an ephod? It was like a vest. Worn by the chief high priest, if there's anything like that. The most senior priest, they had the vest. And in the vest, they had the urim and the tumim, and it had the breastplate with 12 precious stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And that was one of the things that distinguished the, the chief priest from every other priest. He had the ephod. And in it, the the stones, they used it just like they did in the New Testament to cast lots. They used those stones to ask the Lord. It was like the oracle where they would ask God, God, what do we do? And I know right now none of us has an ephod. I mean, I hope not. I guess not. (laughs) That no one has that. We don't have that breastplate. But guess what we have in Ephesians? Ephesians 6 tells us we have the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of things to come. We have that breastplate of righteousness. And that breastplate protects our vital organs. No matter what the devil is throwing at us, we have that breastplate of righteousness in place. Ephesians 6.14 Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not only will righteousness protect you, just as the ephod was, it would also distinguish you. It's also the difference. You know how when the the children of Israel, it was to be the Passover, and uh, they were to put the the blood around the doorposts and all of that stuff. You know what God told them? I want there to be a difference between you and the Egyptians. And that's what God is telling us today. What is the difference? That's our righteousness. The difference is the righteousness that has already 
been purchased for us over 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. So when we stand before God, he sees that. And when we stand before the enemy, who is the accuser of the, of the brethren, he sees that too. So you have your breastplate on, amen? amen? I'm talking about how these situations that seem like they cannot change can actually transform to situations that can change. I'm talking about how when it feels like the book is over, you can flip the page and go to the next chapter. Amen? Let's keep reading. First Samuel 30 verse 8 now. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Look what David did here. And that's something we miss a lot as Christians. David went back to the author of the story and asked, What comes next? He didn't just move. He didn't just sit and cry and give up. And he didn't just say, okay, everybody ready for war. He went back to the person who actually is the author and said, what happens next? Because see, the Lord is not just the author. He's also the finisher. He's not just the beginning. He's also the end. So David went back and said, Abba, how does this story end? Do I pursue? Or do I, what do I do? I want to challenge you today, no matter that situation, take it back to the author and ask him, what next? Nobody starts writing a book and, and, they, uh, with, with, um, and they don't publish the book or give it out without knowing how it ends. He knows. Ask him, Father, what next? What is the next strategy? Do I reach out? What do I do to restore this relationship with my husband, with my wife? What is the strategy? How do I get my child back? What is the strategy? And you know what? He listens and he always answers. He is never silent. Amen? Amen. Amen. Remember, there is a difference. Between the end of a chapter and the end of a book. How many people believe with me this morning that whatever you're going through is just the chapter? That's not how the book ends. If you believe it, say a big amen. Yes. Let's keep reading. And he answered him, pursue. Now this is God telling David, pursue for you will surely, you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. And this is where obedience comes in. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him. David obeyed. For that situation that looks like it cannot change to transform to a situation that can change, you must have your obedience in place. Even when it doesn't make sense. Because it most likely may not make sense. Just saying. Sometimes when God tells you to do stuff, it most like you're like, wait, what? Wait, what? I mean, did you really say this? And then if you're like me, you're like, hmm, give me a sign. <laughs> are, you, are you absolutely, absolutely sure? Like, God, I know it's you, but could you just say it again? 
And am I sure this is not OG making different voices? How am I sure? Like God, <laughs> you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And there's a woman in the Bible in First Kings chapter 17, the widow of Zarephath. God told her to do something that didn't make sense at all. So Elijah walks up to this lady. She's there putting her stuff together. And a random man she has never met walks up to her and says, hey, could you give me water? And she's like, okay, I'll go get the water. And he's like, "Uh, could you give me cake? She's like, what? I mean, imagine being at the Walmart or something and someone saying, hey, could you give me cake? You're like, who are you? First of all, six feet apart, there's COVID. (laughs) And the woman turns to Elijah and says, I have the last meal. I made literally the last piece of cake for myself and son to eat so we could die. We have nothing, nothing. If you turned our house upside down, you shook all the corners out, you won't see even a pinch of flour. There's nothing left. And then you think Elijah will say, oh, can I pray with you for God to supply? No. Elijah says, well, God bring that piece for me. Now, if I were the woman and I said, are you trying to kill me? I mean, who do you think you are? But the woman, she went. She got the cake. She gave it to him. And Elijah told her, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be hungry. This cake, it won't finish. Look at how she obeyed, even when it made absolutely no sense. Even to her own detriment, I mean, as far as she could see, and to that of her son. What is God telling you to do today that doesn't make sense? What is he telling you to do today that looks so difficult? You're like, God, can I really do this? I mean, are you actually telling me to reach out to this sister of mine who I haven't spoken with in 30 years? I mean, how is that? God, do you understand how dysfunctional our relationship is? Are you telling me to call her? What? And God is just saying, do it obey. Amen? Let's keep reading. Verse 10 now. But David pursued he and 400 men. For 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they, they could not cross the brook Besor. Verse 11, please. Oh, let me stop there and talk about this. As God is writing the book of your life, don't be tempted to take a peek at other people's books. Your story is not theirs. Your story is absolutely different. Amen? Don't get tempted to say, but it happened to Mr. A. And look at this. They were going, in the previous verse now, and then some men went, oh, We're so tired. You remember they had cried and cried. We can't move on. We're going to stop here. I thought about this myself yesterday, and I said, if I were there, would I be among the people who would keep moving? Or would I have been among the 200 men who stopped? Would I be among those who say, God, I can't take it anymore. It's too much. 
this situation. I, I just think, it, let it, I mean, the end. I know two ladies who were diagnosed with serious infertility, serious fertility issues. And the doctor had given both of them the same verdict. One of them closed her book and said, well, I guess it's got that wheel said I will never have children and the end. And the other lady refused to close her book, no matter what the doctor's report was. I'm happy to announce to you that last week she had twin girls. That's my sister-in-law. And when I look, I mean, I spend the greater part of my day staring at the pictures of those babies. And I, I, I look at them and I say they're testaments. They are the epistle. They are, they are the proof of God's faithfulness. So the fact that it happened to Mr. A, the fact that Mr. A decided to close his book, doesn't mean you should. As a matter of fact, the fact that you start a business with Mr. A, or you're, you're doing this business and Mr. A is doing exactly the same business, and he packs up, doesn't mean yours will. Learn to tell yourself this, my case is different. Can you say today, my case? Oh, say it louder, people. You are different. It doesn't matter if the same thing has happened to everybody in your family. Your case, it, it, it is different. Things turn around with you. It begins to change with you. You don't... You, if David had looked at this man, I mean, there were 400, and now 200 say we're not going. Somebody who's really great at math. How many people were with David? And then they, there were 600, I'm sorry. And then 200 say they're not going. How many people were with David? I don't know if you all have ever read about the Amalekite army. Those were tough guys. It's not this child's play. We're not talking chicken nuggets and stuff. This was war. And then David is going with his 600 fellows, and then 200 say, we're not going. If David had looked back and said, oh, they're not going, I don't think we can win this. I think we should all go back home. It would have ended there. Don't look at anybody's story. Instead, look at the author of yours. He is the author, and he is the finisher. He started writing it. He knows where he'll put the full stop. He knows where he'll put the period. He knows where he says the end. Don't go saying the end when he hasn't said it's the end yet. Amen? So let's keep reading. Verse, yes. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water. Verse 12. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs, I don't know how that tastes, and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Verse 13. And this is interesting. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. 
verse 14, please. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. Isn't that interesting? So then David, they're going with his, with his guys and then they see a, 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 someone almost passed out. I mean, three days, no food or water. I'll have him flat out on the ground. Anyways, so they see this guy tired, dehydrated, hungry. And they bring him to David, and David gives him food to eat. And he says, so who are you, by the way? And he says, oh, I'm an Egyptian, but I'm actually, I was on the team that just burned down that city. And you know who David is searching for, right? The people who just burned down his city. God will always put you in the vicinity of your miracle. It's not too far away. It's just a couple of pages away, actually. God will always put you around what you need. If God had told David, as soon as you move and when you get towards I-10, you'll see an Egyptian and he's going to you know, take you where. David would have moved with ease and confidence. And there'll be no trust. There'll be no faith. But he just kept moving based on the word God had said. And then when he got to, I don't know what random place, Hockley, he saw, no, I'm not saying Hockley is a random place. I was just thinking of some name that was in Cyprus. So if you leave there, you're fine. So when he got to Hockley, he saw this guy. And that was the exact, remember back in the day, there was no GPS. He couldn't turn on the TV to see, oh, so the invaders, where did they go next? It was God who arranged things. And that's what the Bible tells us in the book of Romans. Everything will work out for your good. Everything. God will always, always arrange things to work out for your good. But you won't know if you don't flip the page. You will think, oh, God. You have forsaken me. When God is saying, just at the next corner, the Egyptian is there waiting to tell you what he did. And that was what happened with David. I want to tell someone today, your children's salvation is on the next page. Don't give up yet. Don't say, I have prayed, and I have prayed, and I have prayed, and I have prayed. And this child, every time I pray, the child gets worse. (laughs) If the child remained the same, that would be good. But the child actually keeps getting worse. I mean, he started out with just being a drunk, and then I prayed and fasted in January, and now he's addicted to cigarettes. And then I prayed and fasted in 2021, January, and now he's on drugs. It doesn't matter at all. And you know, sometimes it happens that way. Remember, just as we said with David, where it looks like everything begins to get better and better? Well, it's actually worse is the right word. Where it looks like everything is getting worse, where the situation is just going downhill very fast. It happened like that with David. And it happens like that with us many times. But... The solution is on the next page. So if you've lost your job this morning, 
relax. There's better stuff ahead. Amen? If your business has failed, relax. Just flip the page. No matter what is happening in your life, the story doesn't end like this. Amen? So we'll keep reading. Verse 15. And David said to him, can you take me down to this trip? And so he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to the troop. I mean, I don't even like my master that. He's a horrible man. But as long as you won't give me back to him, I got you. And David, let's keep reading. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. These were the Amalekites. Now they were like, we won! We're awesome people, guys. Here, let's toast. And they were rejoicing. Let's keep reading, verse 17. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Verse 18. And this, the chapter is about to end. So, can we read it together? So... How many? Oh, wait, I need to put on my glasses. Did I say some? Let's do it again. So, he recovered all, everything. If you go back a couple of verses, you'll see God told him, you will recover all. And look at that. God, always faithful to his word, always true to his promise. David recovered all. And the story pretty much wraps up that way. I mean, you can read it. Some people say, oh, no, the people who didn't go to fight shouldn't get anything, and blah, blah, blah. And David is like, nope, we're all celebrating. Amen? Amen. So, people of God, I want to tell you this morning, and that's all I've come to do, to encourage you and remind you that you are set to recover everything the enemy has stolen from you. And I also want to tell you, it doesn't matter how long it has been in his possession. It could be two days, it could be 20 years, it could be whatever. But, you will pursue, you will overtake, and you will recover. If you believe it, I want you to raise your hands and shout, Amen! This is God's promise to you. God is still writing your story. He is not done with you yet. No matter what it looks like, God is still writing. Your situation can still experience a turnaround. One of the scriptures my sister-in-law used when she gave that to her babies was, when God turned the captivity of Zion. When God again turned, we were like they that dreamt. It was like we were in a dream. God can still give you that turnaround that will look like a dream. That is his job. That is what he wants to do. Only don't stop. Don't close the book. Don't say, God, I give up. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this child. I have prayed so long and it's okay. Whatever. I am, I am done with, you know, this business idea. You told me I was going to set up XYZ company and right now I'm just 
barely surviving on, 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 on unemployment. I'm just done, 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 done. I guess I'll just stay on my couch and take unemployment for the rest of your life. God is still writing. Get up from that couch. He has created you to be more than that. And it's okay to be on the couch sometimes. But don't, don't sit, settle, and saw there. Get up and do more. You know, Peter and the disciples, they thought the story was over. There was Jesus publicly, not in front of two people, not secretly in Pilate's office, publicly crucified, publicly displayed on the cross, publicly taken away and put in the tomb and the stone put in front of it. And Peter and the disciples said, we're done. This is how the story ends. They didn't know they just had to turn over to the chapter that was titled on day three. Because that's actually where the story began. So where they thought it's the end, God was like, I actually just started a new chapter. You want to see this one, guys? This is the interesting story. This is the, this is the, this is the, I don't know what, I'm trying to look for the word to describe. You know how when it, it's like the climax of everything. You thought the crucifixion was the climax? The resurrection really is. And then on the chapter titled the third day, everything, that situation that looked like it was over, everything turned around. Jesus walked into hell, looked Satan in the eye and said, give me the keys. Why did he do that? He did it for you. If Jesus could walk into hell and take the keys from Satan, we could get up and take whatever we want. We already have the victory. Amen? Amen. Daniel. Not my husband now. Daniel. Daniel is another guy. The king thought the story ended that way. They threw him into the den of lions. I mean, sometimes, randomly, when we walk through, like, the zoo, my kids love to go to the zoo, I kind of stay a little further away from where, like, the lions are. I mean, I love to see them, but I'm like, my random thoughts just go, what if (laughs) one of them gets loose? I don't think I want to be anybody's dinner today. So my kids are like, Mommy, come. I'm like, no, 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 I'll admire from here. Thank you very much. Now, imagine being thrown. I think the lions at Houston will probably have some more finesse than the ones here. They're probably fed better or something. But imagine being thrown into a den of hungry lions. That was the end. If I were Daniel's friend, I'm like, oh, the end. Bye. The story's over. The king actually thought, the end, story's over. But flip over to the page titled, In the Morning. They went there, Daniel! And Daniel's like, what's up? I'm here. I'm chilling, people. God came down and shut the mouth of the light. I don't know who talked about the three Hebrew boys. I think it was Miss Shelley this morning. Or was it Amy? I don't know. Someone talked about the three Hebrew boys. Oh, yeah, I think it was Miss Karen this morning. Yes, thank you. It also looked like that was a situation that was permanent. Nothing good could come out of it. I'm just, I, you know all these stories. I'm just here to remind you. 
It looked like that was the end of the book. Bow down, we're not bowing down. Okay, you get thrown into a furnace. And the end, it was done. Flip over a couple of pages. There was a fourth man in the fire. We threw in three in chapter two. And in chapter three, we're seeing four. How did that happen? Because God is like, I'm still working. And I know we sing that song every now and then, even when we don't see it, he's working. That's actually what he's doing. He's like, I'm still writing people. Hold on. But if you're like me, sometimes you get very impatient. God, do it now. Like now, 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 now. I want to see it now. Like Pastor Larry would say, I drive through Chick-fil-A. I want my food now. Okay, no. You can't ever get your food now if you drive through Chick-fil-A. It's always a line of many of us Christians, sanctified people who need to get our food. <laughs> but let's see. And my children always tell me, we need to go to Chick-fil-A. They're Christian. Let's see who else we could use. McDonald's. No. I don't know if they're Christian, but some of the attitude doesn't seem Christianly sometimes. But then you drive through McDonald's, you know they definitely are not singing, my God is greater, or hide it. they don't play Christian songs there. And you want your food now, and they don't have it, the, lo- the line is too long. So you cross over, like Pastor Larry would say, to Whataburger, and you want it now, and, it's too- and then you just go home upset. And that's how we are with God sometimes. I want to know how the story ends now. Hold on. He's still writing. He is still working in that impossible situation. He is still set to do great and mighty things. He is still ready to turn your life around. He is still ready to give you joy. He is still ready to give you peace. He is still ready to restore your children. He is still ready to restore your marriage. He is still ready to make you wealthy. He is still ready to do everything you want him to do. He is still writing. And your life is the epistle the world is going to read. So he's making it a really good book. He has to put in... Imagine if you were reading a book and it was boring. You're like, nah, I don't want to read this. So he has to make it really interesting. You know how... I don't know if you all watch movies. You know how when you start watching a movie and the bad guy and the good guy are fighting... At the beginning, the bad guy is like giving all the punches and the good guy, Superman, Captain America, whoever is lying, laying down there and it looks like the bad guy is winning and they're going and you're like, oh, oh, the, the bad. I know better now when I watch those movies with my kids. I know the good guy always wins. But my kids never know. So they're screaming, oh, oh, he's hitting him, oh, oh. And then at the last minute, from nowhere, <laughs> the good guy gets up, kills the bad guy. And saves the day. Why do we watch those movies? They're interesting. So why is what's happening in your life happening? Because it's interesting. How will there be a happy ending without the suspense? How will the book be sweet without some bad parts? As a matter of fact, how can there be light without darkness? It cannot be mutual. These things we're going through, they are the things that will make the story, when it is read, the Acts of the Apostles, I like to believe, is not over. Where the Apostles and the Acts is still being written. When it's read, people will say of a truth, that person served God. Of a truth, this is a person that could stand in the times of prosperity and adversity and will not be moved. 
of a truth. It did not matter how long they waited for the promise. What mattered was they waited till it was fulfilled. Are we ready to give God the time he needs to write our story? Are you ready to tell the enemy that no matter what you say, I know my book is not finished. God is still working, even now, even in this. God is still writing. The story doesn't end this way. The good guy always wins. And you're the good guy. Because you've been called, you've been purchased with his precious blood. So I want to tell anyone going through a tough time this morning, God is with you. Let's rise and pray. Let's lift up our hands to heaven. And if you want someone to pray with you, the prayer partners are going to be here. If you're going through a situation that looks like it cannot be changed, if you're going through something that looks like it looks like it's the end, it looks like it's, it's, it's impossible, your relationship, whatever, I want you to come forward. The prayer partners will pray with you. But Lord, our hands are lifted to you this morning. And we want to tell you again and again that we trust you. We know that even when we can't see, you cause everything to work for our good. We know that no matter what the situation is, you are behind the scene, you are writing. We know that you are not just the beginning, you are also the end. You are not just the alpha, you are the omega. We know you are not just the author, you are the finisher. You never leave any story half done. You always complete what you start. And we give you praise, Lord, because we know you're still writing. We know you're still working in our situation. We know favors coming to us. We know open doors are coming our way. And we give you all of the glory. And we give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Prayer partners, please, could you come forward if anybody, if you want to be prayed with, Prayer partners are here to pray.